Welcome to Safety Chats. Host Jason Stark, Director of Safety at Baldwin Safety and Compliance, shares decades of aviation experience and a passion for safety. Let's get started with this week's Safety Chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Baldwin Safety Chat podcast. As we always say, it's that podcast that looks at all things safety, safety management, and, you know, some organizational dynamics we like to throw in there for just a little bit of flavor. And today is no different, no different at all. When I was had the privilege of presenting at the American Airlines Safety Management System Forum, wonderful, wonderful, fantastic conference, if you ever get a chance to go. I had the opportunity and the honor to present there. One of the questions that I was asked, because I'd just given the talk on safety culture, engagement, and leadership, one of the questions I was asked at the end of the talk was, do I think that perception equals reality for an individual? And I thought that was a really interesting question. And at the end of the day, kind of on the spot, probably gave a weak answer. I've been pondering it for a while. I would agree with my original assessment to a, a degree. What I said is, yes, yes, I do believe that an individual's perception does define reality. But the problem with that is that everybody looks through mental models, through filters, through biases, and perception then becomes subjective perception. When we look at safety culture, for example, we are asking questions in the survey about how people perceive a particular element. Like, how do they perceive certain aspects of the leadership? How do they perceive certain tools or the effectiveness of certain tools in place? And the safety culture survey, as a side note, if you just ask them, do you have reporting or anonymous reporting? Well, yes or no, you don't. When you ask them questions like, how comfortable do you feel in terms of reporting? Now you start getting a perception. How robust do you think the anonymity is? We start getting a perception. One of the slides that I show is an actual safety culture results from one department. I believe the population size, the sample size was 127 respondents. And what you'll see is the safety culture score, which is an aggregate of, of six dimensions, but that, that's a whole nother story. But what you see is we'll have scores ranging from 2.5 on a five point scale all the way up to five. And this is the exact same department. So it has to make you wonder, are these people all working in the same place <laughs> or what's going on here? Because if it was truly a measurement that was true or false, then I would think we'd have a little bit less dispersion around the mean. But it was pretty wide. And that was an example department. Some departments, the spread is a little tighter, meaning that the perceptions are a little more strongly shared versus dispersions that are very wide. But in this particular department, it was an air medical unit. The dispersion told is, is telling. It's telling of a story that, you know, people, they perceive how things are going on in the environment. So that kind of brings me to the point of this podcast. I know that was kind of a long intro, but what are some things that can affect that perception? What are some things that can moderate it? Specifically, anything that can negatively moderate that perception. But I truly think that job job satisfaction and employee well-being are things that can really skew the perception of safety culture. So what does that mean? This is just me hypothesizing. If people do not feel well taken care of at their job in terms of personal time versus work time, or if they're not satisfied with their job, if they really don't like their job, if they don't like the company, and we kind of touched on that with organizational commitment, but if they don't really like the company, then despite the fact that the mechanisms 
in place. There may be good mechanisms in place to encourage safety behavior or to identify hazards and the associated risk and mitigate them, but we may perceive them more negatively because it's moderated by the fact that we don't like the place and we feel that the place doesn't take care of us. Does that make sense? You, you may be smacking yourselves on the head right now and saying, oh, Duh. I mean, yeah, obviously if the place, if I hate it, they, they don't seem to care about me. I'm not going to think that safety is a big priority there. That does make sense. But it's interesting because people aren't all either all happy or all not happy with the work because we're finicky, right? We're people. That, that's what makes us beautiful is that we have different ideas, perceptions and I, different ideas, obviously, of what makes us happy. Looking into the research, you got to love the medical field for this. You really do because they do so much research that is so applicable to our field uh, in aviation. I would venture to call us sister fields because we do share a lot of commonalities in terms of workload, stress, high stress environments, teams, having to use teams, having to delegate. They have started using checklists because of us. Brought in the checklist idea because of aviation and aviation has brought in some other ideas. They did research in the medical field. They're looking for a correlation between objective workload and work-related stress. So what, what would create this stress? What would create this negative feeling? I think what you would see that when you have a very high workload, when you're constantly on task, when you're being worked and worked and worked, then the work-related stress is higher. But let's take that as a first step. If in aviation, if we're in an organization that is constantly a high ops tempo and there is no break, there is no downtime, you're going to see a higher, according to this research, you're going to see a higher level of work-related stress. In some of the 135 organizations, you know, especially certain times of the year, you're constantly on. When I was flying 135, and I know this is changing, but but a while back when I was flying 135, you were hard-pressed to find an organization that had a set schedule. This many days on, and you'll have this many days off, and these are going to be the days. Where I worked, they tried it. They tried it many times, and then they instituted, you know, extra pay for you coming in on your days off. And then that started getting to be expected. It was trying to work. And I appreciate the fact that they're trying to work, but it just wasn't working. At any given time, you could be either flying or on the road or somewhere 15, 20 days in a row. That's a lot of time. Uh, on task. You're not necessarily flying, but you're away from home. And that might be perceived to some as being, you know, work related and that being a higher workload because that part of that workload is that you're required to be away from home versus you might see in another organization where they potentially fly 10, 15 hours a month with no overnight requirements. So you can see why you have this workload and then you have work related stress. And I would venture to say that in our air medical organizations, because they are very high workload related stress. And I wonder if that is moderating the safety code. So we say, obviously, that that workload does relate to stress. And then there is also a correlation between poor safety culture elements and then also burnout. And now that's interesting. And that kind of does speak to my hypothesis. So you see that high stress or high high workload leads to high stress and high stress can lead to high burn or burnout. But then there has been a link found between poor safety culture elements and worker-related burnout. So what you're seeing is this is kind of ties a connection. Okay, well, if high stress or high workload leads to high stress, which leads to burnout, which can lead to a poor safety culture, or at least poor perception of a safety culture is the way I would explain it, but a perceived poor safety culture. And that alone speaks to 
what we're talking about. Going forward, what I'd be really interested to find is that when it comes to job satisfaction versus burnout, how that impacts safety culture. What does this mean for us in, in every day? Rather than looking at safety culture in isolation, we probably need to start bringing in some of those other elements to see, okay, well, what might be skewing or moderating this perception of safety culture. Our service, not too dissimilar from most of them, is that they'll measure safety culture across different dimensions then based on, you know, which dimensions might be considered weaker, whether it be reporting culture, justice of culture, learning, trust and accountability, whatever it may be, where we see slight weaknesses, dips in the data. This is what we use to base future recommendations on. While that may be well and good, certainly is a good start. If we don't see an underlying problem, then applying those fixes, which we're all familiar with, we like to get to underlying something more systemic rather than the manifestations or the topical, the, the band-aid fixes. If we don't get to those, then those other things will not be helpful. We have to understand our organizations. Do we see burnout? I don't normally like to tell stories about myself, but back in the day when I was a director of safety, the company I was working at up in Chicago, we were flying a really healthy schedule. We had probably two and a half people per airplane. I mean, I think that's what the ratio came down to. And all of us flew two types, possibly three. It wouldn't be uncommon that we'd come back from, you know, like a four or five day trip, see on the schedule the very next day that we had another two, three day trip or sometimes the same day. And if we were within our duty times, which is, you know, at the time was 14 hours, that was fine. We kept this up. I mean, this, this persisted for months. As the director of safety, I know I was getting a little frustrated and I was feeling burnout. And so I started talking to other people too. And they're like, you know, I can't, I can't maintain this. They were getting angry. They were coming out to the plane angry. You could start seeing in their demeanor and their attitude. They were being worked too hard. You have leadership that's saying, well, they should just suck it up. I mean, come on. You, you fly and then you sit around at some fancy resort for two days and then you fly back. But that's missing the point. I, I could see that it was affecting people's attitudes. And if we would have taken a safety culture that time versus a lower ops tempo time, I bet you there would have been a difference because they felt like the company did not care about them. They were just running them ragged and there was burnout happening. So they probably perceive the organization as not being safe. So that brings us to the next part, though. What can we do about this? What we saw in the research is that strong and caring leaders was a big part. I think we can all agree that it's an extremely important topic when it comes to organizational dynamics and getting a group of people <laughs> rallied around a goal. Strong and caring leaders, what the research showed, um, especially some of the leadership types that we've talked about, uh, transformational uh, servant leadership, charismatic leadership, but these kind of from behind values-based leadership models have been found to be very well associated with higher levels of people perceiving that the organization cares for them. Is it possible to increase ops tempo, but yet still project and influence the perception that the organization cares about you. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I think we need to be aware of. If we're saying the research shows that high workloads lead to obviously higher work-related stress, which is also leading to burnout, which can affect safety culture, then if we can agree to that, then we need to see that, all right, well, maybe we can't address the workload, but maybe we can address the stress or the perception of the stress. Also found too is that strong and caring leaders, when individuals perceive that the organization cares about them, that has actually shown to reduce any negative outlooks or negative uh, perception of the organization, obviously. And again, that's another head slapper. So what do we do? I'm going back to that point. You need a strong leader and you need a leader that displays, I guess, caring for the employees, but caring for the organization. But it's, it has to be a strong and caring leader and they have to be very supportive. It can't be the case where 
you have high ops tempo, people are starting to get burned out and whatnot. And the leader's like, you know, that's their job. Let's do it. That is exactly the opposite of what you want. We have to empathize and we have to say, okay, well, you know, maybe we can have a rally one day or start, you know, do something with the troops. <laughs> I'm going back to those military days, but do something with the workers. Start getting them fired up about what they're doing. Maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe we're hiring people. This is what we're working towards. I'm going to bump pay. That's always a good one. We're going to give points. We're going to make a game out of this. We can gamify it. We can have like an ongoing 24-hour barbecue that when our pilots get back from certain trips that they can get barbecue, whatever. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But what this is doing is it's showing that the, the organization acknowledges that yes, you have a high stress job. Yes, you are working your tail off. We do not want you to get burned out. We want you to feel that we do care about you. We're going to provide for you. We just want you to be happy here. We want you to be content here. We want you to know that we appreciate what you're doing. And that goes a long way. So, and that takes a strong and caring leader to put that into place. If we don't address this, if we don't look at our organization across this other dimension, across job satisfaction, about perceived caring of the organization, if we're just looking at safety culture, we might be missing something else that's going on deeper beyond safety culture within the organization. What the research found too is that the long-term effects of high work stress of increased workload and the associated work uh, work stress has been a decrease in the quality of the output. And again, you know, smack your head. Well, duh, if I'm going to constantly work under stress, I can't put out a good product over time. I'm human. And, you know, that's where burnout comes in. I just, you stop caring as much. So the long-term effect of that is if it's not addressed, when we think of decreased quality of output, we can also think of the level of safety in the output. And as I told my company many years ago, when pilots were coming in and they were, they were not happy, we were burned out. I said, do you really want a pilot or two pilots in that cockpit that are flying mad? And that's what they're doing. They're mad. And they tend to care less because they were so burned out. They felt like they weren't being cared for. We were starting to see the long-term effects of this high workload. And you don't want to be there. So where we started at is people's perception of safety culture in the organization, I think, and again, I'm going back to my hypothesis, is moderated by their job satisfaction and their level of burnout and work-related stress. But what we also see is that potentially that the long-term effects of this can probably actually have tangible effects on the safety performance of an organization. So something, again, just something I, I wanted us to think about. I wanted us to mull over, you know, just another way to look at our organization. So when we look at a safety culture survey and you get it back and you have a spread three to five, and let's say it's somewhat skewed and your overall average is 4.2 or 4.3. And you're like, woohoo, okay, we did fine. We'll start asking the question, you know, why? Why do we have those perceptions that are down there? Obviously, people are very variables, right? I mean, we can, we can span the spectrum. We might want to start thinking why. And as we see over time of the safety culture moves, maybe it's not necessarily due to what you are or not doing in terms of safety because it's how people are perceiving it. Maybe there's been something else going on at work or the workload went up or people's perception of the organization caring for them has gone down, <clears throat> whatever it may be. But again, just something else to think about. How are you guys feeling? You guys with me? I'm glad uh, I had a chance to talk about this. It's something I've been thinking about, but thank you so much for tuning in, downloading, whatever. As we always ask, wherever you listen to this little gem, whether it be Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, if you go ahead and let us know how you feel about it. 
go ahead and smash one of those stars. Obviously, be truthful. Uh, we're here to serve you, and that's what we want to do. We want this podcast to be a podcast you can go to to learn and critically think about, about safety topics. So I would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you here at Baldwin. As always, we thank you so much for what you do out there in our segment, in our industry, keeping things together, keeping things safe. Again, something to think about. Think about your employees, how they're doing, what the health of your core is. We do thank you for always pushing forward with uh, safety. And until next time, thank you. Stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by Baldwin Safety and Compliance, the leader in safety management for the transportation industry. Since 2004, Baldwin has been providing state-of-the-art solutions and 24-7 support to the aviation and transportation industries. Baldwin's clients include all sizes and types of transportation operators. Baldwin provides safety and related business services to commercial and non-commercial transportation operators, medical transporters, FBOs, MROs, airports, flight schools, UAS operators, firefighters, OEMs, ground transport operators, and others. Visit baldwinsms.com to discover how Baldwin can enhance your organization's safety program.